Hello, everybody. You are... How do I start this thing? I can't remember. It's been so long. Hello! Hello! Has it been that long? It's been a while. It's been yeah. a long, long time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Amazer Comic Book Podcast. I am Kyle Bolin, and I am joined today by Scott James. Hello! I feel like, see, I wanted to do like a, one of those NBA intro things for you since you're making your return here after missing two podcasts. We are also joined by Brian Mark. Hello. And we are also joined by Todd Relu. <laughs> yeah! Oh, that was a lot of enthusiasm for my least enthusiastic intro. So good job yeah, bringing it for welcome. yourself. Very excited. Everybody's here. Very excited. All right. We are talking about Silver Surfer today. We are talking about Silver Surfer Volume 6. Did you guys have any idea that's how far in they were when they started this one? No. This is Volume 6, one. you guys. Volume 6. Yeah, Silver Surfer number 1 through 5, Volume 6. A New Dawn, I believe, is the name of the storyline. A New Dawn. A New Dawn. New Dawn, you're right. New Dawn. Yeah, New uh, Dawn. No. <laughs> uh, so this is the the Dan Slot, Mike and Laura All Red run of Silver Surfer that started in 2014, I think. The end of 2014, maybe. Might be 2015. I'd have to look that up, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. 2014, actually, I do have the number right in front of me. Uh, and yeah, uh, they it kind of bled into 2015 and ran all the way up to Secret Wars, stopped, and then they've restarted it. So if you go into the comic store, you're still going to see Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and the All Reds, only it's going to be Volume 7 now, the thing that's on the rack currently. But before we dig into Silver Surfer 1 through 5, New Dawn, we're going to talk about what everybody is drinking. You guys all ready for that? Yes. All right. Todd. All right. This is my second noir wine, although it's... Club W. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to... We could just like keep that as a clip because I'm pretty sure that's at least the second time you've said that, Scott, when immediately following one of Todd's wines. I know where he gets I've, his I've wallet. I have He's soul source. I've not been a member of uh, <laughs> Club W for a long time, but the wine still continues on. Uh, anyway, this is the second wine that I've had that has noir in the title, but is not, as far as I can tell, a noir of any sort. Not a Pinot Noir or anything. Uh, this one is Alchemist Noir. You may recall that previously I had a Love Noir uh, yes. on another podcast. This one is inspired by the Alchemist Flower, which I've never heard of before. But is it, it poisonous? A, huh? The, the flower, is it poisonous? Uh, probably. Yep. I assume so. Hopefully the wine is not. Uh, <laughs> if I drop dead halfway through the podcast, I guess you'll know. Um, it is a red wine blend from California, uh, and it's actually quite sweet. It has uh, strawberry hints to it. So Interesting. No inspiring quotes on the back either. Although it Aww. says it's, it's good when paired with a spicy barbecue. So. Oh, okay. Well, we 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 could hook that up. That's when you know you have a quality wine. That's right. No, oh yeah. No, no. Paris was barbecue. Carry this into the backyard. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, Scott, what are you drinking, buddy? Uh, um, I'm having a summer teeth. Go on. You heard me right. It's called summer teeth. It's a German style lager. It's brewed right here in Columbus by the Columbus Brewing Company. And it was bottled on May 16th, 2016, which was just over a month and a half ago. Mm. I, I just want to say I really appreciate the way that you've embraced the Midwest uh, microbrews. 
I'm getting in it. And it says 1988 on the bottle, so that's exciting. So too. that's a lie. So, so the bottles <laughs> from 1998 or the beer? Yeah, the is... brewery I think was started in 1988. <laughs> no, right? But... Yeah, but the actual beer is from a month ago. Yeah, it was bottled in 2016, May 16th, which was just about that's a month. A fresh and a half beer. Ago. You got a baby beer. Just to be clear. That's right. Yeah. All right, rad. Good stuff. Yes, sir. I love it. Actually, it's got a great flavor to it. It's got a picture of a picnic table on the front, and I enjoy it. Oh, that's a nice summary. It's like a comic book on a bottle. Fantastic, <laughs> Brian. Uh, I am not drinking, but I did drink earlier, which is why <laughs> we had a we had a long lead up to this, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> but it was uh, from Kona Brewing Company. It was a big wave. Ooh, it's very good. Oh big yeah, wave. okay. Lager. Yeah. Okay. You can pick that up at your local Kroger. Pick a six. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, I love those deals. I, I I I enjoy like a selection. You know, it's nice coming home with like uh, choices, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not drinking either because we did have kind of a long uh, pre-show. We we pre-gamed, so I drank my uh, left-hand milk stout. I just you know mm. went ahead with my go-to. Uh, anybody out there that enjoys a stout, I'm gonna recommend the left-hand milk stout again. Uh, I believe for the second time on the podcast, maybe the third. Maybe not keeping track. I feel like maybe the third. Well, I'm going to keep drinking the them. Third, sure. I've got a lot more in the fridge, you guys. I'm going to continue to drink a left hand milk stout, but I'll try to bring something new next time. Anyway, on to Silver Surfer New Dawn. Was anybody not familiar with Silver Surfer before we go into this? Probably Scott, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was wondering about you, Scott. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Okay, so well, I'd seen pictures of a silver guy on a surfboard. That's it. Like in your life, you mean? Yeah. Literally, that's all. Somewhere I've just been he looked familiar. Is that about as good as it yeah, got? Yeah, vaguely. Just said he was. And you've never seen the Fantastic Four movie, the second um, one. I don't think so. I mean, no, I never saw it either. Surfer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think that that was widely like watched or well received. <laughs> right. So, yeah. No, I did not. Yeah, see he was a character in that. I guess I don't know. Apparently, Galactus was also in that, and I think right. he was not the real Galactus, right? It's not the real Galactus if he doesn't have his cool hat on. Right. Marvel's all about the hats. Oh, they are. They've got some pretty wicked hats. Um, so, to anybody out there in listener land who is not familiar with Silver Surfer, he is sort of a cosmic space superhero. Um, his real name was Norin Rad, which is an excellent name for a surfer-based hero, I think. Um he was a uh, he was a space alien on another planet called Zen La, whose planet uh, was going to be eaten by Galactus. Galactus is the devourer of worlds who roams the universe eating planets uh, because he's always hungry. He's a big hungry man. And uh, Norrin Rad decided to try to save the his planet by basically submitting himself as a herald to Galactus. So he spent a good long portion of his life seeking out other planets to lead his uh, his boss Galactus to uh, to feed him. Uh, and I think that if you dig into Silver Surfer's history, like sometimes they, I think he's been portrayed as like trying to find like less inhabited planets than you know at, at certain times or something like that. But he definitely came to Earth initially trying to feed Earth to Galactus. So there's a little bit of a history there. But he turned on his mentor or his his uh, his Galactus. <laughs> and uh eventually won his own freedom uh but was was imprisoned in earth for a while which is how he became like acquainted with a lot of the earth superheroes uh and had adventures with the fantastic four and blah 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 but anyway so we start a new volume here with silver surfer and we are 
introduced at the beginning to a character who is new to any comic reader, uh, Dawn Greenwood, a little girl initially, because it says it's like 12 years ago. We see her and her twin sister, and they're dressed uh, in dresses that are, one is ladybug colored, <laughs> and one is bumblebee colored. Uh, Dawn, our character that we care about, is the ladybug. Um, and it basically just shows her with her sister and her dad. They're on the front porch of a house, the house, their little beachfront house. Um, they're, they're, they're wishing on a star, a shooting star. And Dawn wishes that the star would just stay up in the sky and keep going forever, whereas her sister wishes that she could get away from their little uh, their bed and breakfast. I don't think they've explained that yet, but it's a bed and breakfast that they run there uh, in, was it Cape Cod? Anchor Bay. Anchor Some Bay. made up was place. That, yeah, was that Cape in Cod. Cape Cod? Cape Cod. It's in Cape yeah, Cod. Yeah, it was in Cape real. Cod. You could see it later. Okay. Like issue Anchor four. Bay is real, Brian? I think so. I remember looking it up once. Really? Okay. Todd, can you look into that? Oh, uh, right now. Sure. No, 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 no. No fact checking. <laughs> That's forbidden. Um. So anyway, that only becomes relevant later on, but it is a relevant point that she wished on that shooting star. So uh, we quickly move into. It becomes relevant pretty quick. Uh, I mean, it becomes. Re- <laughs> it literally it's... shows that it's Silver Surfer like immediately. Well, yeah. I mean, you see that it is the Silver Surfer, <laughs> but the wish becomes relevant later on, in like like two or three uh, issues down the road. It. That's what's yes, relevant. Much yeah. later. Much later. Much later. Yeah. Uh, so then it jumps to the current day, and we see Silver Surfer saving billions of tiny, tiny little lives in their tiny, tiny little solar system by keeping a star alive that apparently was going to die and the star is about the size of a beach ball relative to his body um and he just kind of moves on his way and immediately is interrupted by some space cameras that talk yes that's 100 <laughs> percent right. right i mean i i think what's interesting i mean do you think that silver surfer is going around doing good deeds sort of to make up for yeah, I mean All that's the in, horrible that's, things he's done in the past. It's pretty explicit, right? I believe he says that um, he can't make full amends for the things that he's done in the past, oh, yeah, and that's so right, yeah. yeah, he the, the people are like building statues of him. The little tiny people are building statues of him to like worship him as a god, essentially. And you know, he's like, no, 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 like I don't deserve any of this. You know, no praise is needed. And uh, the his like sort of like interior and in, his his inner monologue uh, says that there's no absolution for him, you know, for That's a formal right. herald of Galactus. So yeah, it's implied that he's basically just like you know wandering samurai trying to make up for the wrongs that he's done, but he knows that he can never do enough. Basically, yep, so exactly. yeah, yeah. So he is a wandering surfer samurai, uh, but he is interrupted by some cameras, uh, which basically decide that he is now the mighty champion whatever that means and he is transmitted to well does it say yet i don't think it does a guy an alien with three eyes and two mouths his name is zed they do say yeah, that it does say zed yep his name is zed kind of cuts back and forth between that and dawn uh now an adult and kind of shows the contrast between her and her sister who is very free soul who is traveling the world we see photos of her like on the great wall you know like taking the typical photo next to the leaning tower of pisa holding it up um all over the place right yeah france some of, some of these photos look normal some of them look very strange <laughs> Like, yeah, she looks very concerned about the Great Wall. Like, well, there's looking... a ball rolling down it, like this... Indiana Jones style. No, I don't think I it's think... that. I think those. I, I also Actually, that, thought that like, looks like the moon, but she's it's being out chased of place. around. But they're they're just the the pins that she stuck into the board. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But I don't know. I was just gonna ask what that weird moon is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw that and I looked at the because there's one above it. That's not a moon. <laughs> well, you see that it's a thumbtack. It looks like, well, she has that concerned look next to the wall, and then it looks like there's some like joke ball like rolling yeah, down right. 
the the wall, and then you look up, and then there it looks totally like a moon next to the Eiffel Tower and Big Ben. Um, Taj Mahal. Yeah, yeah whatever uh, she's doing in front of the Taj Mahal, she looks like she's falling over. I don't know. Or doing something to somebody who's invisible. Is this <laughs> is this uh, artist only known for uh, this comic book? Uh, the All Reds? No, um, they've done a couple no. other comics. I think they draw faces awkwardly, especially side view of people's heads and faces. Let's, do you guys want to talk about the art style for a minute? Sure. Uh, now that you brought it, it up, yeah. <laughs> now yeah. that we broached that subject. So we started sure. off on weird side face. Where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I initially I was like unsure about how I felt about the art in a general sense, but mm. it's one of those art styles that grew on me uh in a pretty dramatic way, I, it it may be my favorite current art in mm-hmm. any sort of current book. You know, um, it's 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 very like sort of like sixties pop art. Like there's so much influence from like yes. yeah, like like uh, Lichtenstein or uh, like Warhol or something like that. And and in addition to that, there's all kinds of places where it's heavily inspired, if not outright ripping off Jack Kirby. Mm. Um. And I don't know, like, I, I just, I love the, the way that they, they take those sort of styles and tropes and then modernize it in a way that still makes it kind of unique. Yeah, I liked, I liked, you talk about the pop art style, I really liked the use of that and showing the power cosmic. It's almost yes. as if it's bleeding through the page at you. As yeah. As if you can kind yeah. of really feel the power of its ability to alter reality. Yeah, and and I don't know if you guys noticed, but like, often it's, there's very smooth colors and very smooth lines. Um, yep. But then occasionally when things like that are happening, like, like say when surfers using the power cosmic, yep. you'll start to see the dots that used mm-hmm. to exist because of the pr- the old printing processes. Uh, they'll start to show up again. And it's like, they're specifically calling back the, uh, you know, the Kirby influence or, or the classic, you know, pop comic book influence. And, and I just love the, the very deliberate way they're using all those devices in, in this comic artistically. Um, I don't know. I I love the art. I think it's great. Yeah, I Me think too. I think that's yeah. I think it's great yeah, in good ways. Uh, yes. But back to the locations, Scott. Did you see where she was going next? Uh, no. It's oh Zermatt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> so Scott and I randomly met up in Switzerland, and we went skiing in Zermatt. <laughs> nice. And we slept together. <laughs> Uh, correct. Well, you mean you kept me up while you watched, uh... I w- felt so miserable. Oh, my god! <laughs> yeah, you were sick. Okay, we'll move on. But, yeah, we've been to Sermat. Yeah. Wildly enough. Two guys from Indiana. <laughs> skiing in the Swiss Alps, baby. How coincidental. So, anyway, we see, uh, Dawn running... <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> helping to run the, uh, the bed and breakfast that her dad runs there in, uh, the Cape Cod... Whatever it was. Which is not real, by the way. Anchor Bay is not real. You looked it up? Yeah. <sighs> I did, too. I concur. Okay. Uh, I didn't look it up, and it was my job to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. Oh, well. It was... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, not worth it. So, basically, Surfer is being drafted to take care of some problem that Zed's having to uh, <laughs> save the Empiricon, which is... <laughs> Is that the world? <laughs> it's trying to it's remember. like a huge nightclub. It's amazing. It's like MC Escher thought... and Mark Kistler had a love child. <laughs> Mark Kistler had nothing to do with it. <laughs> this is totally Shame. Mark Kistler. 
It is. It is. The Wasn't it just a moon that was a nightclub? Oh, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's like yeah. the size of a moon, but it's, <laughs> it wasn't so anyway, anything. It's there's a little bit. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding when he shows up. Some fighting occurs, and then incredulous Zed shows up in his convertible. Yes. And vouches for him and uh, tells him that he needs to uh, help him save the Empiricon. And Surfer says he has no idea what he's talking about because he can't see it. And Zed, who again has three eyes and two mouths, one of which is where his neck should be, which is really gross, uh, says shields down. And we see uh, MC Escher doesn't even describe what this thing is. It is like the poppiest pop art weird world that is like basically just all skyscrapers and crazy buildings. Uh, and it is called the Empiricon. Like the closest thing I can think of is like Coruscant from like Star Trek prequel or Star Trek. Sorry. Ooh, we would get some heat from that. If anybody listened to this podcast, the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> well, it reminds me of like the holodeck basically where anything could happen. Right. Well, I mean, that's what, I mean, Anything can happen because it is the impossible palace, he says. Yeah. Uh, and we find out later on that it is literally impossible because it exists in a way that reality it doesn't mesh with reality, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, uh, Silver Surfer, well, he gets a view of that crazy world. Um, the next page. <laughs> it's like I, every, I mean, it's like Pleasure Palace and what? everything that you could imagine. What is, well, they, they kind of go on to the next is. page about like what all's there, right? And, and they do something on this next page that I think is illustrative of what they do throughout the entire series, which is to have like things running in tandem twins, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like some there's, there's duality everywhere in this entire comic and it continues that way throughout the entire run. Um, and, and builds up to some really interesting, I'm getting way ahead of even what we're going to cover here because I've read the entire series, but, uh, they go to some really creative places down the road. Um, Especially, I don't know, you guys all you pretty much read digital, but I read these in print. And um, later on down the road, like like maybe like 10 issues from now, they're going to do an entire issue that is done as a Mobius strip. Oh, wow. Where, yeah, where like you read like one side of the Mobius strip and then you flip your comic book over and read the other side. But it's oh, really cool. crazy. But but on this particular page, we, we actually see like the top strip is Dawn uh, like showing all of the people that are staying at the bed and breakfast around and describing all the different things they have in the bed and breakfast. And they're all very mundane, you know, like a little tiny fish that Einstein caught and like, you know, like their kitchen, things <laughs> like that. Whereas down on the bottom, we've got Sil- Silver Surfer being shown the uh, the Impericon, which is like, you know, an entire moon that is a nightclub, uh, you know, things like that. Um, sunflower sal- slalom. How do you pronounce that word? Salom? Slalom? 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 Slalom. Yeah, the snow <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> thanks. We're good. We are good. Uh, yeah, and Surfer points out that this is all impossible, and he's like, "Of course it is." But he's like, "No, no, no, you don't understand. Like, you shouldn't be able to keep anything <laughs> secret from me." And this was a secret, and that's where like he's like, "Oh yeah, well." Um, <laughs> I don't think they explain yet why, no, why they it don't. was kept they secret. Don't. Yeah, it's but guys, like, what is Zed's motivation for this whole place? You for it to exist? Like, he just okay. yeah. Okay. I, I was wondering the same thing. Like, he's very invested in it and willing yes. to do some pretty terrible things to keep it. And it's not until <laughs> it's not until the third issue that we find out <laughs> that it's all about money. Yeah, and being he's an rich. entrepreneur. <laughs> this is the most believable thing to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, Good come point, on. Tom. I mean, this is capitalism. 
He's getting rich, filthy and rich. It, he is the the Donald Trump of uh, aliens, uh, apparently. Well, <laughs> it's all about real estate, right? At any cost, or, or any any wealthy person. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> any wealthy flying, person. That flying uh, uh, car cannot be cheap. That is true. Although you know, Fury has one of those. Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of anyway. true. It's kind of true. And the Fantastic Four have like flying bathtubs, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but these these see all these other people are government funded. You know, Zed's made his own money, uh, in a way. <laughs> Is the Fantastic Four government funded? I don't know. At some point they were, weren't they? I have no idea. Maybe not now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they ever were. I know the very little were. very little about the Fantastic Four. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Surfer basically agrees that he will be the champion to save the Impericon, whatever that means. He's still kind of uh, not exactly clear about it. Uh, and then Zed says that he's going to use the motivator on him. Which <laughs> is also unexplained, but it's I expected so much more. But it's supposed to provide the proper incentive to make sure that the Silver Surfer follows through with his mission. Uh, at that point, we see that Dawn is still back in uh, Massachusetts, and she immediately gets teleported at that moment away from Massachusetts into Hollywood Squares. Yes. <laughs> With all sorts of amazing creatures around her, but no Alf. No, no Alf. Interestingly enough. You've got Beanbag Man, Jabba the Hutt Slug, <laughs> this guy I'm calling the Colon Hider. There's what looks like a mummy nesting in a nest, um, yes. sleeping. <laughs> yeah, basically she gets teleported into like a cell that is part of a matrix of cells that a lot of weird-looking aliens are being stored in. They're very tight and small. And, yeah, I mean, like, if you've ever seen Hollywood Squares back in the 80s or... Did Hollywood Squares exist in the 90s, or was that simply an 80s thing? Um, I think it was in the 90s. It was yeah, yeah. It went they a lot definitely brought it back at some it point, right? It might have hit 2000. I feel like they brought it back yeah, when we were, like, in back. high school. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, Hollywood Squares-style sort of matrix. Uh, she's in that. Or Cabin in the Woods. Good point. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that one's good. Um, so anyway, yeah, she gets stored basically. Uh, and so we jump back to Zed and Surfer discussing what the whole job is, and starts explaining that he needs to go destroy an oncoming threat called the Never Queen, which Zed describes as an unimaginable power. Uh, but power is not enough for her. Uh, she's a being of an unimaginable power. Uh, it, Silver Surfer starts to ask what happened to previous champions. Uh, realizes he's not the first, and Zed replies, no, uh, and shows him some footage of what happened to the previous <laughs> champion, which was Battlejack of Jackstar 9. Dude, it's hilarious how he gets there, too. <laughs> Silver Surfer and him, the interaction. Yeah. Well, I, 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 Fine, just the last one. What happened to him? Y- yeah, exactly. Well, I, I kind of feel like in order to explain to an audience what's so wonderful about this comic it's the interactions right i mean like it's the way that this is written it's the way that the characters interact and it's sort of like the uh god bizarre like like how would you describe the the style or the tone of this comic you know like it's whimsical in a way that few marvel comics are and and it's there's like definitely like sort of like you know um looming threats in this comic uh, no, it's much lighter. Serious things, it's much lighter. but yeah, but that's the thing. Like it's done in such a way that it is very light. Like you never actually feel like concerned, like you might in you know like an Avengers comic or New Avengers or 
Um, like Brian, I know you were like reading the whole lead up to Secret Wars, where like New Avengers and Avengers were just like off the rails, crazy, like terrible things happening right. left and right, and there's just sense of doom, and you just like feel like you actually feel like there is doom encroaching on you. And here we've got like you know <laughs> this guy named Battlejack of Jackstar Nine, who's basically being melted. Uh, <laughs> like crying while it happens and and zed says that it goes on for a while but there's like this comedy to the whole thing at the same time you know like there's this sort of like um well i i thought it was like a fantastical kind of thing like almost harry potter like see um, the this the analogy that i always go back to and i believe that it's also supposed to be a little bit more obvious is the doctor who analogy that we've got at this point, we've got the surfer who is very much in some ways like the doctor, like, you know, traveling the cosmos, trying to help people where he can and just this endless quest to do that. He's got transient yeah. powers. like Well, and yeah. he is a transient, right? Like, he doesn't really belong yeah. anywhere now. And uh, and we get to the point where now he has a companion, which is a very direct uh, reference or, or like uh, point that, you know, comes from Doctor Who, where Doctor Who always travels with a companion. Uh, but also the tone in this comic is very much like Doctor Who, where there can be monsters that are straight up killing things or destroying worlds, but it's done in such a way that, like, you could put it on a Saturday morning cartoon, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Battlejack basically gets melted, and Surfer gets to watch the, the footage of that because the cameras apparently caught all that. Um, so anyway... Uh, they continue to discuss the fact that he's going to be the champion and that in order to properly motivate him, they have kidnapped the most important person in the entire universe to Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer goes through a whole list of people who it could possibly be. His ex-girlfriend, his mother, Alicia Masters, Nova, Mantis. Who? And then he reveals that it is Don Greenwood. And Surfer says he has absolutely no idea who that is. Exactly. Any comments on issue one, you guys? No, I, it was a good seems intro. Seems like a good setup. Yeah, it's exactly what it is, right? We got set up, right? Um, it's intriguing. Yeah. So the next issue kind of starts with like putting some seeds for like some more sort of mirror. Well, what does it really start with, Kyle? What does the issue start with? Yeah, on the cover with the Never Queen. Uh huh. It's got Silver Surfer and the Never Queen. I think I think Scott's mm-hmm. referring to her open booby. Oh, <laughs> is that what you wanted to talk about? Yep. Okay, yeah, she's got a boob. It's there. It's not covered up. It's made of a planet. Yeah, uh, well, I guess. <clears throat> I mean, we don't. We haven't really discovered what the nature of the 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 Never Queen is yet. Correct? Yes, we don't know what it is right now. At it, this she explains who she is in this issue when we get there. Right. But she is composed of many planets and things, cosmic such things, <laughs> celestial bodies, if you will. Yeah, I think Scott's interested in her celestial body. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely right. true. Exactly. Yeah, uh, there's there's a there's an explanation as to why she is composed of celestial bodies, though. But anyway, we start again twelve years ago, seeing the two twin girls uh, in a play, and they are uh, acting out a scene from Snow White with a magic mirror. Moving on, we get to Dawn and the Surfer. Uh, well, Dawn is being transmitted as a message to the Surfer. He tries talking back, but she can't hear him because it's a one way thing. Uh, but he decides that he will definitely save her because she's been kidnapped. Uh, and she's an innocent, apparently, so he's just going to go ahead and make sure that he saves her life. So he goes off to confront the Never Queen. Um, and it's at this point that we kind of see him flying towards the Never Queen, thinks that he can get the drop on her, and she says, no, you can't. Um, and there's some grandstanding between the two of them. Uh, the Never Queen is huge. She's like a giant um, outline of a lady. Not a whole lot of detail within her body, but definitely like the color is 
very different on the inside of her than it is on the out. And that's kind of what Scott was referring to, where uh, on the more close like uh, drawings of her, we see that there are celestial bodies that compose her on the inside. Uh, whereas on the outside, like her hair just looks like Jack Kirby blops and stuff like that uh, against the, the backdrop of space. Yeah, it's a pretty striking look. Yeah, well, it's evocative of something that if you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, you would maybe pick up on it pretty early, which is uh, Eternity, right? And we get there later on, but her entire form is extremely evocative of that particular entity within the Marvel Universe. But he's not – Eternity isn't a very uh, well-known mainstream sort of – part of the Marvel Universe, so I wouldn't expect someone like Scott to pick up on that, you know? No idea. Right, exactly. Um, like, it's the sort of thing that I think, like, Todd and I were probably first exposed to, like, through a Marvel encyclopedia, rather than actually, like, encountering him in a comic book, because the chances of encountering Eternity in a comic book are probably pretty slim. I, I would imagine that we're both aware of him, at least by now, you know, like, yeah. 30 years into reading comics or so. So anyway, it jumps back and forth between uh, Dawn and, and the Surfer again. Uh, we see Dawn and her fellow, fellow inmates getting fed uh, food that comes on trays that the jailers are floating to them and then sticking through the force fields at the, the front of their Hollywood square cubes. Uh, Dawn and the father of Battle Jack, Battle Lawn, <laughs> uh, both refuse to eat and smack the food off of the trays, and, and Dawn insists that she's a vegan. Uh, so the, the jailers go away to try to find something more suitable. They bring her back some apples. Uh, they call them vegan zapper apples, and the little blob was this the guy you were referring to as jabba plorp yeah i refer to him as forget now jabba the jabba the hut slug yeah jabba the hut slug plorp <laughs> uh loves zapper apples but can't eat them because of his hyper acid reflux and don asks how hyper is his acid reflux and he says oh near infinicentric infinicentric <laughs> Infinicitric. He uh, actually says that it's one of the most powerful acids in the universe. And she asks, is it powerful enough to eat through these walls? So she starts feeding Plorp the apples, and they start using his uh, vomit, essentially, to eat through all the walls to free the prisoners, which they do. Jumps back to the surfer and the Never Queen uh, having their little (laughs) battle. Uh, You know, it's... Surfer, uh, eventually, you know, he's, he's kind of like, you know, digging at her saying that, you know, she's got, you know, pretty bad aim, but then says, but with his aim, how, who is he to judge as he zaps the two cameras that Zed has following him, uh, because he wants to have a, because he wants to have a candid conversation with her and try to figure out what's going, uh, but she's not having it and decides to just, you know, straight up zap him with all of her power. Uh, we then are, are seeing a entire page of. Lots of different possibilities, I believe, is what we're looking at here. Yeah, right. All possible futures, essentially. Exactly, yeah. So we see Surfer and Dawn happy. Surfer and Dawn mad at each other. Surfer and Dawn in, you know, completely in love. Surfer alive, holding Dawn's dead body. Surfer and Dawn having a baby. Uh, All of the other people that are important in Surfer's life are somewhere around the background. So the Fantastic (laughs) Four, Doctor Doom, uh, Shalabal, his wife from his original planet. Uh, a lot of other sort of Marvel characters. We've seen Namor, the Hulk, uh, Hellcat for some reason. <laughs> Is that Hellcat? <laughs> Doctor Strange. And Galactus, of course. Um, but he's just basically like being torn apart by emotion, essentially. like That's kind of how she's attacking him. It jumps back to Zed having a conversation with a mysterious robed figure. Uh, who will later on learn is kind of like pulling his strings. Uh, but he gives him 
the edge, edge of reality. Of reality. Yep. Yes, uh, and insists that he take matters into his own hands and go attack the Never Queen. Uh, the edge of reality, and apparently he also gives him some armor that uh, is not of our reality or the reality of the six one six universe. You know, the main universe that Surf- Silver Surfer is set in. Uh, and that becomes important later on down the road when he's fighting the surfer. Uh, but we kind of see the jailbreak happening with Dawn and all these different this this menagerie of aliens. Uh, one of which is Mister Migdala, who gives some very helpful <laughs> advice on how to find their way. <laughs> my favorite character. You like him? Yes, in this whole book, he's my favorite. He's the best because he's the worst. I mean, he's actually the worst. He just looks really smart, like you can trust him. Yeah, he does <laughs> look the whole thing. Yeah, he does look really smart, like you could trust him, and she does. So they follow his directions. They run into the reactor core, they believe. Uh, it is a giant heart that is beating, and kind of gives them all sensory overload. And in this moment, Dawn starts to kind of babble and starts saying, "I wish, I wish," which becomes relevant because we turn to the next page, and Silver Surfer is still alive. Uh, he should have been dead, apparently, based on the strength of the attack from the Never Queen. But she explains that there was a girl who a long time ago made a wish on him, which is that wish we saw at the very beginning of issue one, where she wished on the shooting star, which was the Silver Surfer, and wished that he could keep going on forever. Uh, and a wish is a powerful thing. And so somehow this kept him alive, but also the wish changed and confused the Never Queen. Uh, but they're basically able to go ahead and start talking more civilly. And she explains who she is. Uh, I believe this is the part where she explains that she is the mate of eternity. She is the uh, she's neither destiny nor chaos. She is the embodiment of all possibility. So without her, everything basically just exists on a fixed timeline. Like destiny is the only thing that exists in the universe at that point without her. So with her in existence, uh, you know, people have free will or people have the ability to, you know, go down multiple branches of lives, multiple paths. There would be like, you know, say in the Marvel Universe, multiple realities, multiple dimensions, things like that could only exist with this particular entity in existence. Um, And if I guess we go back to eternity, eternity basically represents the known universe. I don't know if there's a better way to explain it than that. No, I think that's I think that's the division they set up here. Basically, yeah. He like he represents the embodiment. He's like a uh, you know a representation of the entire universe, like a sentient representation of the entire universe. Uh, the way that if you're familiar with the Sandman series, like all of the Endless are representations of concepts in that universe. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, she explains that the incredulous Zed had sliced out her heart. Um, and is using it to power the Impericon. It's what makes the Impossible Palace possible. Uh, and she's dying without it, and that all she's been trying to do by attacking the Incredulous Zed and the the Impericon is to get her heart back, which she needs in order to survive. And she is needed in order to in order for possibility pers- to persist, essentially. Right. Otherwise, there's only one track, right? Yeah, it, without her, uh, she explains that like destiny is set and that there is only one thing, one path that will ever be followed for everything in existence forever. Right. Which sounds bad. Yeah, pretty much. Unless you're the incredulous Zed and that that possibility she admits still involves him being rich, then he's fine with it. Yeah, right. But That's the quite... one reality he wants. <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Uh, anyway, the, the surfer decides that he's going to take the fight back to Zed and finds the... Um, Battlejack of Jackstar 9 and takes his armor uh, to use as a Trojan horse 
and starts flying back to the Impericon. And he sends the board off on its own to find Dawn and kind of like imparts the image of Dawn onto the board. Uh, I guess we haven't really explained, but Silver Surfer's surfboard is made of the same metallic surface, like material, metallic material that covers his body, and it's a sentient board. Like it, it has like a mental connection to him, and he can control it psychically. From I, I don't even know if there's a limit on how far he can control it psychically, but it's essentially indestructible, and it's very powerful. Like you know, on its own, it doesn't like talk or anything, but it is pretty good at communicating. We see in in this series. Um, it it's able to basically like show images on its surface, and um, it it has a lot of personality for what should be an inanimate object. Yeah, absolutely. It could do what you could send a dog to do. Essentially, it, it is go very fetch yeah. people. It's a little bit better than a dog. Yeah, well, it can fly certainly, but and, yeah, I mean, it's it's maybe like a little bit more. Um, it's like Kit. It's like Kit. That's a very good. Yeah, it it can problem yeah. solve much better than a dog can. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What about Lassie? Lassie was a dog that could problem solve. That's true. She never let Timmy die, and Timmy was very accident prone. Okay, yeah. that's a myth. What that Timmy was accident prone? <laughs> no, that she <laughs> that would a never. Dog let... Could be as smart as Lassie. It's a myth that she would never <laughs> let Timmy die. Oh yeah. well, yeah. Okay, yeah. So anyway, we see uh, Zed take off in his new armor with his new crazy sword and his crazy convertible and, and go off towards the Never Queen. He notices that the board is flying around on its own. Um, I don't know. Does he send his, his guard after the board yet? I think that's like shown in the next issue. But uh, the next thing we see is we see that during the jailbreak that Dawn is leading, we see the board catch up to her. And it, <laughs> it says hi to her by creating a reflection of her in the board waving hi and smiling. Uh, so they're fast friends already because she uh, realizes that it's an honest-to-God magic mirror, which calls back to the very first page in this issue where we see her and her sister acting out the queen magic mirror scene from Snow White. She um, is, she's very ready to accept all of this. You know, she's not phased by learning that they're she's aliens. She's a dreamer. It's interesting stuff. to me because I, I kept thinking about that in the uh, the following storyline where we're back on Earth. Um and we might as well go there. I mean, like the her entire family is just like, "Where have you been?" And she's like, "I got called out into space, and I was on space that's adventures." Right, and yeah. they're like, "Oh, that's nice. Would you like some dinner?" You know, and and like they take it all in this stride that yeah. I, I started thinking about it at the time, and I'm like, "Well, of course they do." You know, like this is the Marvel universe. Like this sort of thing happens to people all the time, right? Like this is the sort of thing that they probably see on the six o'clock news on a daily basis. But then they also explain that they have no idea who the Silver Surfer is, or who the Fantastic Four are, or any of the other heroes from New York because they just don't pay attention to the news they don't pay attention to any of that so it's still a little weird that they take it all in stride <laughs> yeah uh no like the people they talk to they they like oh yeah i know like like random characters but they're they do know of superheroes and stuff like that they just don't know who this one is i thought that they they denied knowing many of the common superheroes from new york no because they knew it blew up or something or oh, I guess they, they make light of it, right? They just yeah. say, oh, yeah, superheroes, bad guys show up, superheroes fight, they save the day, where life goes on, basically is what they say. Yeah, right. that's true. Uh, so anyway, we see uh, Surfer show up in his armor, uh, find the jailbreak, start to introduce himself to uh, Dawn as Norrin Rad, there to rescue her, but he doesn't even get to complete that sentence because she says, nice to meet, nice to meet you, Norrin, don't worry, I'm Dawn Greenwood, and I'm going to save you. And he says, what? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she's, that is a, the, she's a modern woman. She's not a damsel in distress. She is the the 2010s version of Lois Lane. Right. As as the doctor's companion. 
I don't know. That Lois Lane was still, I don't know. I think more <laughs> badass than Don Greenwood in a way that I really liked. You know, maybe Don will get there. Maybe she'll find, like, you know, a space uh, machine gun and just start unloading on some scrolls or something. That's right. She'll call them wage slaves. <laughs> <laughs> you scrolls. Uh. Working day in, day out. <laughs> no nice. ambition for yourselves. Just copying other people, no original ideas. <laughs> Standing on the shoulders of giants. That's right. Or celestials. That was a good Marvel joke. You guys didn't laugh. All right, so uh, we open the next uh, issue. I don't even know how to like talk about this crazy page here. Uh, Dawn's painting a gnome. She's much younger there. Um, <laughs> it kind of tells the it, it tells the backstory of basically how the, uh, the Eternity and and the the Never Queen were in love, and during a moment where anything could happen, something terrible did, and that's where they show Incredulous Zed cutting out her heart with that crazy sword he's got. In his crazy armor. Oh, so that is eternity. Yeah. Yeah, right there. Yeah, okay. that that black uh, cosmic being with the roby sort of look to him. That that is eternity, Scott. So if if anybody ever asks you what eternity looks like in Marvel comics, you can describe that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good luck in describing <laughs> this. Yeah, yeah. I thought about doing it here and no, give up. Yeah. It's a black void filled with planets in the shape of kind of a man. Yeah. With that's... some really crazy robes that go up and make crazy sort of hat shapes around him he's very colorful yeah well, he's got a lot of colorful planets inside of him all of the colorful planets probably so anyway we, we move on to the current current time which is the the jailbreak is still occurring and the uh battle lawn i believe is his name yeah battle lawn the dad of battle jack of jackstar 9 sees the surfer and attacks him because he sees that he's wearing his son's armor so you know big misunderstanding uh they tussle and uh dawn immediately starts to intervene and is very insistent that you know he give him his son's armor back because he's in pain and he's upsetting him and surfer realizes the error of his ways and apologizes and does that and i kind of feel like this is important because this is the first time where we see dawn ordering him around <laughs> like he's his her husband or something like back that his son's armor. well she does this throughout the rest yeah. of the issues like like the yeah. surfer is this like independent extremely powerful individual who doesn't really answer to anybody anymore and is used to being like, you know, the person who is above everybody else. But this girl comes along and is ordering him around. Like, you know, she's his, you know, angry wife and he's listening to her from the get go. Um, you know, there's really no explanation as to why he's just immediately listening to her, but he is. And now, you know, Dr. Who better than I do, but is there a similar dynamic among Dr. Who and some of his assistants? I, I believe that. Yeah. Uh, like at certain times there certainly is where, where they are almost like the conscience of Dr. Who, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are the ones that are sort of like, um, calling him on his bullshit yeah. when there's bullshit to call, uh, or ordering him to be more human than he might otherwise be, you know, right. like, like, like basically calling him out when he's being callous when he shouldn't be, things like that. So there, there's definitely a, a parallel there between those two, those two pairs of characters. Right, because these assistants are, are meant, one, to humanize them, and I assume also yes. to provide something that's at stake. Because when you get a character who's too powerful, then what, what gets at stake is their relationships with other characters. Yeah, they definitely, they definitely function, function in that capacity. But also I think the other thing that's really important here, because this is the beginning of a run, is and, and they work this way in Doctor Who as well, they are entry points for viewers. 
Yeah. Uh, like, if you're a new viewer, you tend to jump on when a new doctor and a new companion come along. Uh, as somebody who is completely unfamiliar with Silver Surfer, Dawn being new and seeing Silver Surfer for the first time and having to get all the explanations yeah. about his backstory and who he is and what his power is, this works great for somebody like Scott who doesn't know what the hell the power cosmic is, you know? Yeah. Right, Scott? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I assume this was the first time everyone's meeting him. And that's not true. <laughs> but it feels that way, and that's what's important. Absolutely. I mean, but it's interesting, because they do, they do a little more to try to make her seem important, right? There's this whole thing about her wish that we were talking about and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Do you feel like they try to kind of crank up her importance, I don't know, by, by having things like that throughout the rest of the run? I mean, are there so are there a lot of things forcing Don Greenwood sort of into the center of everything? You know, because subsequently, as we're going to talk yeah. about, she's the one who like has the power then to decide. I guess because she's carrying the heart or whatever. But I mean, are they constantly thrusting her, you know, into the middle of everything in a way to make her as important as this super powered character? Yeah, I think in some ways it they feels are a little forced. I mean, she's not she's not carrying the power cosmic. The way that he does, but I'm not sure if it's forced when it's sort of the one of the central themes of a comic, you know, Mm -hmm. like the importance of having a companion of having somebody that kind of like, you know, compliments you in a way. Uh, I don't know that that's forced. I think that that's just, you know, one of the central themes of Silver Surfer, of this run of Silver Surfer, is that in so many ways she is complimentary to him and completes him in a way that he needs her uh, you know, just the way the universe and she need him, you know? Uh, so I don't know. I don't get the impression. I don't feel like it's forced. I feel like it's a way of telling a story that involves two people yeah. um, in a way that is balanced, you know? Right, yeah. yeah this, we, is, this is all about the balance, the yin and yang kind of stuff. Yes! Like, she's grounded, she's from Earth, and, you know, he's cosmic, and but he does love Earth, so that's their connection, you know? Yeah, and we see, like, that he does love Earth, even though he has, like, some chips on his shoulder and is a little bit curmudgeonly towards Earth because of the history. Uh, but, yeah, I like, like she is there to continue to remind him of why, why he loves Earth or what he loves about Earth. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's very literally her. You know, like, it becomes her. Um, she, she does give one false piece of advice. What is that? She's like, look, we got to give her away to the skate pods. Let's go. Uh, there should be one of her 50 meters. Shouldn't be a challenge. Do they say that? 50 yeah, but that's all Mr. Migdala's fault. Your favorite character. Yeah, I guess it is Mr. Migdala's fault. In the yeah, end. they point out that he basically like misled them because, and, and everyone just assumes he's <laughs> assumes he's smart because he is a giant brain when in fact he doesn't know anything <laughs> at all. So she's not perfect. I mean, she's bossing him around and stuff, but like, um, and I don't think she's that like grounded. I, I kind of think she's a dreamer. You know, she's the one that wished. And even though she was trapped at home as like the co-manager of the bed and breakfast that she's stuck in. But that's in Cape Cod. That's part of her character arc. Yeah. I mean, she's she she longs for something more exotic. Right. Well, or something. She comes to that realization in this in this through this through these through this whole adventure. She comes to that realization because she's uh, she is demonstrated as having been like the person that stays behind. Uh, initially, yeah. and her sister, her twin sister, is the one that travels. Her twin sister is right. the one that spread her wings and flew. And right. so Dawn is the one that was, like, opposed to dreaming and opposed to trying to leave home. But right. through this adventure, she begins to realize that that is what she wants. Right. Um. So she was grounded but becomes less grounded, in that literal sense, at least. 
Um, so anyway, the the surfer uh, Dawn basically reveals that she actually knows what where the thing that surfer is looking for is, being the heart, and uh, leads him to it. Uh, he kind of explains what's so important about it, and states that he's going to cut it free. Uh, <laughs> she asks how he's going to do that, and he says he possesses the power cosmic silvers up, meaning that he goes from his human-looking form to actually sheathed in silver. Uh, and she, you know, comments on how pretty he is. Um, <laughs> this is not the part where, no, that's later on when they're traveling through space, where he explains what's so great about the power cosmic. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so he starts to use the power cosmic to shrink the heart down and uh, insists to Dawn that she needs to catch it because he's going to be busy doing the impossible. Uh, but says not to worry because he does it all the time and kind of looks like he kind of jump kicks it and karate chops it simultaneously. Um, but also explains that you know, she complains about how big it is. He, you know, complains that he, he, he says that, you know, like you can't actually like pay attention to that because it's all just... Uh, like a metaphysical thing in the in the first place. So basically, what happens is the heart shrinks down from a gigantic beating heart, uh, like uh, the size of like a titan's heart or something like that, uh, down to a literal toy monkey with two symbols, the kind that like clang clang clang, you know. Um, and we see that the monkey is clanging, like it actually have the they have the uh, the text written there, the onomatopoeia or whatever. Um, and it kind of cuts to Zed continuing his attack towards the Never Queen. Kind of looks like the Never Queen is dying. I think they kind of explicitly state that as well. Um, that's where they have their conversation about how if he kills her, there's only going to be one inescapable destiny. And he says, but I'll be rich, right? She says, well, yes. And he says, well, I can live with that then. So, you know, he decides he's going to go on and, you know, slay her basically in her weak state. Um, but at that point, he realizes that the Impericon is falling apart. And this is all because the Silver Surfer has taken the heart away, which was powering the entire thing. So without that, the Impericon can't survive. Um, so he's using the Power Cosmic to keep it alive long enough to try to get everybody to disembark on the planet and, and you know get to their escape pods or, or whatnot. Uh, <laughs> how'd you guys like these two panels where he's trying to get everybody to run away? Where he tells him he's devouring the world? Well, yeah. first, he's, first he tries to just say, hey, destruction's imminent. Get to your vehicles or escape pods immediately. And they're like, it's a hoax. I'm paid up for five more nights. And if he thinks I'm, then he's like, fine. Fine. <laughs> Lo and behold, I am the Silver Surfer and I am devouring your planet. Run for your lives. At which point they all run because obviously he's the Herald of Galactus and that actually they take seriously. So, yeah. So he continues to hold the planet long uh, together long enough for them to escape and... Uh, at one point, uh, has the board come to me? He says, to me, my board. The board flies through a bunch of walls and stuff. Uh, they get on the board and fly away with the monkey. Yep. They escape the exploding Impericon. Uh, and this is what I was talking about, where he he's kind of like rambling or he's kind of like monologuing there. And then he stops and realizes that it's the longest he's gone without her saying anything. And looks and sees that she's holding her breath, like her cheeks are all puffed out, you know, as they're flying through space. And uh, yeah. asks what she's doing. And she's like, how are you talking in space? I possess the power cosmic. How am I breathing in space? The power cosmic. And I'm not freezing <laughs> because power cosmic. That's very convenient. That's the power cosmic. <laughs> yeah. 
I read that and I was like, that's kind of a meta joke, right? I mean, like, oh, it's yeah. kind of like it's a joke about like you know, mechanically yeah. what's happening within the narrative, the but also like, hey, this entire comic is like convenient because of the power cosmic. Like, yeah. like there's no like internal logic here whatsoever, nice basically, right? That's they're just yeah. yeah, they're calling it out as like you know a Deus Ex Machina thing that just like affects everything from the beginning to the end of this comic, and we're just all along for the ride and to have some fun. But at that point, Incredulous Zed uh, attacks the Silver Surfer with his cool convertible that flies through the space. And uh, they have a little moment that I think is supposed to reference Pulp Fiction with the Zed comments. It's Zed. Who's Zed? But then he just said that doesn't matter. So maybe it's not. I don't know. It seemed close to me. Yeah. Whose motorcycle is this? Zed. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Yeah, right. Zed's <laughs> dead. That's right. Uh, so anyway, uh, Surfer has Dawn take off on the surfboard with the monkey and says that he'll deal with Incredulous Zed and... Uh, you know, starts to fight Zed with the power cosmic without the board. Uh, we see the Never Queen looking pretty dire uh, as Dawn approaches with the monkey. Um, we also see that the monkey is starting to slow down with the clinging, which means that the heart is dying. Um, at this point, the queen tells her that she needs to choose, uh, that there's possibilities, there's a couple possibilities left in her future, and she needs to choose well. And this part's a little weird, right? Yes. Um, it shows Dawn and her sister as as little girls, or or you know, like through I think several different ages of their youth, uh, having arguments about you know the things that they're into, basically, or the decisions they're making. And it looks like it ultimately culminates on whether or not Dawn is going to be on the outside or the inside of the gate that leads to their bed and breakfast. Meaning, you know, like is she going to? spread her wings and fly or is she going to stay put basically and somehow that feeds into whether or not reality is going to continue to have possibilities i'm not sure i don't know i I, it didn't really make sense to me so she's supposed to choose one of the few realities that's left so it seems like maybe they failed and got the heart back too late and now possibilities aren't there but then i think when they reunite it doesn't it suggest that you know she's totally cured and now there are it, possibilities it does, yeah again. like it, it seems implied that the never queen is fine at the end of this um <clears throat> i don't there, know if if you read this series through the end of this particular volume there are literal choices made towards the end that affect the entire reality that they make again and i don't i can't recall whether it um kind of circled back around to this or not i don't remember it doing that though um but yeah this this was a little confusing to me too exactly what they were trying to communicate through these images and through the the demand that she make a choice basically although at the end of the issue it's implied that neither of them really made a choice when they had a choice to make right yeah but she winds up with her front gate anyway the monkey turns into the front gate <laughs> mm-hmm yep uh zed and the surfer are fighting <laughs> Uh, Surfer is being all like, you can't shield yourself from the power cosmic, but he does. He says that defies all reason. And he explains that because the armor and the sword are from outside reality, they're able to stand up to even the Surfer. Um, the Surfer, meant, he, he calls the Surfer a fool, a bald-headed fool. And the Surfer says that his time on Earth had made him strong and taught him that things there are things that even a bald-headed fool can do. And at that point, he totally just does a curly from the Three Stooges and like, pokes the guy in all three of his eyes and says nyuk nyuk while doing it. (laughs) So rather than use the power cosmic to attack this guy with invincible armor and a sword, he just pokes him in his stupid eyes. 
so he's blind. He picks up the sword and he stabs the guy with the sword. Fight over. Yep. <laughs> uh, we see Zed basically like disappear. He's uh, saying that he's undone. Uh, this part isn't explained anymore in this issue, but it seems like it's seeding something for one of the future issues where he shows up in some weird, weird, dead-looking world, uh, which it's explained by the the robe guy shows up that gave him the sword and the armor in the first place, and he says that he's been banished from outside of time and space. Um, so right, because guess... Eternity has cut him out like a cancer. Yeah, Eternity actually speaks to him saying that, uh, yeah, that he cut him out like a cancer specifically because of the harm that he intended to put on... Uh, the Never Queen. Uh, at that point, we see like a happy Never Queen, like you know, saying that hey, everything's great now. Uh, Dawn, remember you chose your future. For you, it's a gateway. But whether that gate is open or closed is up to you. And Surfer basically says that he's going to get her home. So they, you know, are going to fly away into the sunset on his board to get her back to Earth. Uh, and the last thing we see in this issue is Eternity and the Never Queen having that conversation we kind of referenced, where they're talking about how. Neither of them rose to their potential during a moment where anything could happen, uh, but yet they still achieve great things. And the Never Queen says that you know before they were alone, but now they're together. So uh, every moment is a moment when anything could happen, and that is the end of that particular arc. The collection that we selected though has two more issues left in it: issues four <laughs> and five, which is another completely well. It's the follow-up to that, but it's a, basically another story that's a two-part story. Um, it's totally tagged on. It is totally tagged on. Um, featuring prominently the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Well, featuring briefly the Guardians of the Galaxy. I know, well, that's very the thing. <laughs> they sell it very, I mean, they're all over the cover. Yeah, it's on the cover. Like, it's a big yeah. Deal. yeah, and they're like a blip. Yeah, <laughs> they, they really are. I mean, like, the issue starts with, the, the issue, this, the, this first page of this issue has to be the best page, right? Of any of these comics? Oh, with the Hulk and everything? The Hulk and Doctor Strange oh. fighting the Universal yeah. Monsters. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. In a, at a at the Amity Rest Old Home folks for home. Jersey yeah. City. Yeah, this is yeah. hands down my favorite part of this entire thing. Yes. Yeah, it totally opens with Doctor Strange and the Hulk, who is like the old school like Jack Kirby Monster Hulk, by the way, like yeah. not some sort of like new like crazy looking Hulk fighting like Frankenstein and like you know like Bella, what was his name, Bella Lugosi or whatever. Yeah, Wolfman uh, and yeah, like. Yeah. Like, Dracula. those old... Like, they totally look like the old Universal Monsters. They're fighting them at an old folks' home. Um, Wait, who's Bella Lugosi? Wasn't he... Wasn't he played one of the... Am I thinking yeah. of something else? He's, no, he's a famous actor uh, that uh, played early uh, versions uh, oh. of these uh, yeah. classic... I gotcha. ...monsters. Right. Um, yeah. I was right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Yeah, so Surfer and Dawn uh, move through the solar system, and they get uh, interrupted by the Guardians of the Galaxy, who run some tests on the Guardian, or the Guardian, who run some tests on the Surfer, uh, and they say that they're testing for alien microbes, uh, and, you know, the Surfer's like, this is ridiculous, you know, like, I'm, I have the power cosmic, I can't be infected by microbes, uh, explains that they were, you know, they must have... Uh, I think he, what, he does say that they picked up something, and he says it must have happened when he silvered down back at the Impericon. Yeah. And uh, Captain Marvel's there, and she asks about that, and he says that he destroyed it. She says she's not surprised. Dawn then asks what she meant by that, but he just kind of, like, sweeps it under the rug. Uh, is which Venom is... hanging out with him? Why is Venom Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is that Venom? It is Venom. Uh, it's, not, it's not the typical Venom, though. It's uh, actually Eddie. It's not Eddie Brock Venom. Uh, it is uh, Flash Thompson, Spider-Man's. Mm. Uh, old rival slash friend. Uh, he is currently 
Venom, or at least was currently Venom, uh, and a good guy. So, hanging out cool. with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep, he uh, basically was like sort of an Avenger, uh, and the Avengers were basically just like, well, we need somebody to hang out with these guys as like you know, uh, <laughs> the Iron Man replacement. By the way, yeah, he was the Iron Man replacement because Iron oh, Man wow. was hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, but they decided they needed somebody to permanently be there to communicate back to them what was going on out in the cosmos, essentially, and they decided that Flash Thompson was the guy. Hmm. Comics are weird, y'all. Yeah, yeah, comics are weird. Um, so anyway, they move on and they fly back to Earth. Uh, they have some other rip, witty repartee about how, you know, he has judged the Earth, and she's, like, all like, yeah, they were judgy, whatever. Um, it's explained th- by the Guardians that they were actually testing to see if there were any traces of Galactus's power signature on the surfer, because they don't trust him, is what it, it's kind of implied. Uh, they just want to be extremely safe by making sure that he's not leading Galactus back to Earth, because they're protecting it at all costs. As the surfer and Dawn are flying back to Earth, she makes a reference to the Wizard of Oz. He interrupts her and says that he's seen it thousands of times. And in a very, like, sort of a bitchy way, <laughs> it kind of describes how he's seen every single yeah, show and movie about and every, Shut yeah, up. like, every single thing that can be communicated basically through, like, uh, electronic transmissions he has uh, observed through the electronic transmissions. And so he's seen, you know, he's basically sick of all of it is kind of what he's saying, you know. Um, and actually, and that's why he kills that fisherman. Who doesn't kill the fisherman? What happens to that fisherman? So they fly down through the Earth's atmosphere, and I don't, before we get there, like there's like several panels here where we see them like tenderly touching and holding hands and everything. Did you guys like mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. notice that and reflect on it at all? Yeah, I mean, she, yeah, it's like when you if if you were ever to take a woman on a motorcycle with you, they would have to hold on to you. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I don't know if it's like a mutual thing. It's definitely like she's maybe doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe because she just doesn't want to fall off the board and be lost in outer space. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of like like if you were like you just met this girl and you got to take her home and she's like riding on the back of your motorcycle and she's got to like put her arms around you and like, wait, this feels real good. So like, you know, like I'm enjoying it a little bit more than I thought I would. And we're going to show that through the camera. Yeah. Yeah. So they fly back down to Anchor Bay and uh, we see a fisherman in a boat dozing. And as he wakes up, uh, what looks like giant kraken arms come up and like swallow the ship down into the water. Uh, while this is happening, the surfer's like, something feels off. Uh, and he kind of looks behind him and sees a big ploop out in the middle of the ocean, but like doesn't actually detect that a fish boat just got sucked down by apparently Cthulhu. Dawn takes him inside. Uh, I like the next page because he freaks out and says, scroll, when her twin shows up. Yeah. It's a nice funny joke since, you know, he basically mentions that he has more experience with scrolls than twins. And this is where we kind of talked about this earlier where they discuss where she's been, outer space, and they just take it all in stride. You know, her dad asks what they fed her and she says zapper apples, like and there's absolutely no questions here. Um there's a nice little reference to the Wizard of Oz by the Silver Surfer where he becomes the Tin Man briefly. Mm-hmm. Um and then they bring him inside where he meets apparently their entire all their guests. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, it's probably pretty boring there. You know, why not listen to the man from outer space for a while? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> um, so they kind of talk about space. They're talking about space with all the different guests there. There's a little boy who asks a lot of questions of the Silver Surfer. Like, 
is he made of metal? Is he naked? How does he pee? You know, things like that. Um, and as they're all getting up and leaving the room, we see the room start to shift, and we see that the couches now have, the couch in the ottoman have, like, snarly, mean-looking grins, and, like, all the walls are cracking, and the pictures are now all crooked and evil-looking. Uh, but nobody seems to notice yet. Uh, they go and eat dinner. The surfer explains that he doesn't actually eat with his mouth. He uh, likes to break things down using the power cosmic to their like organic components and absorb them through his hand, it looks like. Uh, but Dawn insists that he silver down, take the silver off and become a you know normal looking man again uh, and eat her father's food the normal way because he worked hard at it. Um, turns out the silver really likes the silver surfer really likes that uh, and then out of nowhere the little boy that was asking him all the questions shows up in his underwear riding the board around which i liked yeah no that's my other favorite scene yeah yeah uh at that point you know server walks out to the uh the front porch falls asleep because he ate so much and he's sleepy now and he doesn't have his silver up to make him not not need to sleep and at that point it cuts back to the hulk and the, and uh dr strange who hitch a ride they get a ride <laughs> Yeah, from they, a guy yeah. in a truck. <laughs> I won't go into detail how they do it, but uh, they they definitely get a ride. Uh, the board wakes the Silver Surfer up uh, because he realizes he's been sleeping for a while and he needs to get out of there. Uh, it was explained when he was flying down to Earth that he had been trapped there by Galactus, that there was a force field in place. And as he's trying to escape Earth on his on his board to fly back into the cosmos, he is uh, repelled by a barrier, and he thinks that it's the exact same barrier that existed when Galactus banished him to Earth in the first place. Uh, and that's where the issue ends uh, and moves on to issue five. Right, which is interesting because he was going to take off and leave Don Greenwood behind and, you know, no more of that. Like, he right. was ready to leave without saying any further goodbyes or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he flies back down to the to the house and <laughs> is rude to Don, who will not have any of that and is very forceful with him. And also uh, shuts the window and the drapes. And he explains that he's the Silver Surfer, wielder of the power cosmic, and can't be held at bay by glass, wooden frames, or drapes. Yeah, well, he's he's saying that she has to come with him, because she must be the element that allows yeah, him to pass that, through. Right, he thinks that she's the key, since he was able to pass through it, he's assuming, on the way down. Uh, but it turns out that it was, well, it's it wasn't there before. Right. That's what we, we, what we learn. Uh... Doctor Strange and the Hulk arrive at the bed and breakfast, and there's a little reunion with the Surfer because they used to be on a team called the Defenders together. Uh, and Doctor Strange explains that odd things are happening because the Lord of Nightmare is causing everybody's worst nightmares to basically occur simultaneously. And it's got a it's got a little bit of a Sandman feel to him. Yeah, the, I was wondering if you guys feel. if anyone was going to mention that because the the Lord of Nightmare looks a lot like Morpheus from uh, the Sandman. Uh, which is fitting because the Sandman, while he is dream, he is also the dream. He's the Lord of nightmares as well as dreams. So right. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, he's got that whole uh, Robert or was it Robert Smith from the cure. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what the Sandman looks like. And that's what this guy looks like kind of, but it's kind of explained that, uh, is this where they explain? I'm not even reading anymore, but I mean, uh, strange basically explains that everybody has fallen asleep on earth except right. for the Silver Surfer, and that the only way to prevent this nightmare from becoming permanent is to prevent uh, the Surfer from falling asleep, but then also to wake up uh, the Lord of Nightmare, who is dreaming and <laughs> causing all of the nightmares. Um, yeah, exactly. 
And so it all falls on the person who's awake. Who happens to be? Don Greenwood, of course, yeah, because not... she's artificially thrust into the center of everything. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Most important person. <laughs> yes. Because she didn't fall asleep. It really she... reminded me of that one, uh, the one uh, Justice League episode where Batman was like the only one who hadn't fallen asleep. And like everyone else had fallen i forget what the i forget the rest of it but i, I remember like him like always one of these right yeah he was like driving around the batmobile like drinking coffee like crazy yeah <laughs> trying to stay awake yeah that that is a trope She's the three-eyed raven she becomes the three-eyed raven yeah that's right yeah strange uh gives her the eye of agamotto which is his little pendant that allows him to see things that you know normal people can't see uh yeah they, they basically like surfer it becomes they become aware that Surfers was not actually the last person to fall asleep that he actually did fall asleep so it's Dawn that's the one that hadn't fully fallen asleep yet but she had fallen half asleep so they kind of force her to wake back up but I guess it got bad enough that now all of reality is shifting around them like you know the walls are coming apart eyeballs are showing up everywhere uh, stalks with eyeballs on the end of them are showing up everywhere it's very Cthulhu <laughs> yeah very uh, much yeah so like just everything around them is going cosmically crazy uh, she gets the third eye in her forehead, which is the eye of Agamotto, which allows her to see all the crazy stuff that's happening. Uh, Strange and the Hulk start to physically, or it looks like, it looks physical, I'm sure it's metaphysical, but they're fighting back all the eyeball stalks and the crazy maws that are trying to consume everything. Um, while Dawn and the Surfer try to solve this issue by figuring out where the Lord of Nightmare is and to wake him up. And so they kind of like go through several trials. Like They find her sister, who is her worst nightmare is to become her sister. Right. Uh, so Dawn's sister, the bumblebee is basically tending the rooms the way that Dawn would have before she left. And as she's doing this, we see her costume like gradually shift from the bumblebee outfit to the ladybug outfit becoming Dawn. And we also see her father outside losing everybody that he cares about, you know, and, and everything that he cares about, including the, the inn that they run. Um, and conveniently, a star shows up that is a spaceship that includes all of her friends that she rescued from the uh, the Impericon. <laughs> That's right. Job yeah. of the Hut slug. Including Plork, <laughs> Everybody yes. else. Yeah. Uh, so they fly away. Uh, we see basically everything around them basically turn into Zenla, which is the city that, that the surfer's from. Uh, and he says that his greatest nightmare is basically like, you know, that place being devoured by Galactus. We see a big body approaching them, which looks like Galactus. And it turns out that that is actually the Lord of Nightmare. Dawn's eye of Agamotto kind of like shines on him. And they, they get they've been getting clues throughout this entire thing. And eventually they wind up back at the inn, sort of like the illusion of the of Zenla shatters. And they're at a door at the inn that has the infinity sign on it. And they enter and that's where the Lord of Nightmare is sleeping. Uh, she tries to wake him up in the typical ways you would try to wake somebody up, yelling rise and shine, shaking them and saying up, 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 and then also trying to kiss him. <laughs> um, but that doesn't work, and the surfer realizes that the prophecy that they heard earlier, that he could only be awakened by the dawn, they thought that that meant the uh, her, but it turns out they meant the literal dawn. So yeah. he <laughs> breaks the roof open, sends his surfboard up into space, and then reflects the sun back down through the, the hole that he made and shines light onto the... Uh, the Lord of Nightmares face, which wakes him up. Um, and then, you know, they're all very uh, cordial as uh, he flies down into their basement to sneak back into the, the Nightmare Kingdom. Yeah, so you just, like, came up to their bed and breakfast to spend the night and then, yeah. like, unleashed hell, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh -huh. He was like, my bad. Yeah, right. When I fall asleep, you all get 
the hell unleashed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but everybody kind of says their goodbyes, and at you know, kind of the last thing we we see is Dawn deciding that she does want to actually travel the cosmos with the Silver Surfer and not stay put. So it's kind of the, it's kind of like I guess the jumping off point for her entire growth as a character. Uh, we see the adventure she went on pay off, and and her decide that she's going to be more than just a girl that stays behind. And that is the end of our read of issues one through five of Silver Surfer volume six. So I feel like I've been talking for like an hour straight. <laughs> it was awesome. You did a great job. Oh my god, you blew through it, buddy. So tired. Um, what do you guys think? In a general sense, what do you guys think? How did you like this? I mean, it's tough to reflect back on the whole thing when you read those last two issues, or um, or what do we call them? Issues, right? The additional yeah. story. I'm sorry, I'm new on comic books, okay. so I don't know. It's five issues, right? Yes. Fine, we forget. But like you. the first three was like a real story, right? That had like you know beginning, middle, end. The other two are, I guess they've got little mini stories in them, but I don't know. They feel kind of forced in there into the end to give some kind of depth to Dawn, you know, because it focuses on her home. It's a character growth. Um, it's a character growth story. Yeah, it's also setting yeah, up so, for like the arc uh, that continues on. Right. Yeah. It, it's, okay. It's this all of this was a setup to explaining why she would go along with him for the next like you know 10 issues that she joins him on which are crazier yeah got it like basically that nightmare revealed that she didn't want to become that person who maintained the inn right so that's why she Uh, right so with that in mind did you enjoy it scott me yeah i thought it was fun i think it was it was lighter than the other reads that we've had um you never got that sense that there was extreme danger or like, cause I think you just always sensed that there was like this mystical suspension of disbelief. Like anything could happen, you know, a giant heart turned into like a little monkey clanging symbols. And like, if they were all going to die, all you had to do was claim that he was eating their planet and tell them all to run away. And they jumped in their escape pods and everything. So, like there's an explanation out of anything. It could have been just made up craziness. So you never really felt like anyone was truly in danger. So it made it a different type of read from like the Batman um, comic that we read. And it's just a lot less serious. But it wasn't cheesy all the time. It tried to have some, I don't know, it, it tried to have some kind of character development in it. It had, um, it wasn't as cheesy as like the um, Iron Man um, comic that we read or, well, definitely not as much as uh, Spawn. But... <laughs> It, it had some of that charm that I like that maybe Todd sometimes doesn't like as much of just like goofy yeah. expressions. Yeah, Todd definitely hates fun, charming things. He's it's not true. Yeah. I actually really like this one. I just didn't like you Spawn. Did? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this isn't anything like Spawn. I mean, like like drawing a conclusion there. Like there's there's silly things that happen in both of them, but here it's intentional. Right. Well, I think... It seems smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think very much like Doctor Who, you know, when you have a character... Uh, especially like Silver Surfer, who's all powerful, resolving things through sort of just this gross display of power really would become predictable and old. And so you almost have mm-hmm. to go to a silly place to keep things interesting and unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would get boring otherwise. You can just like manipulate reality. Great. Problem solved. <laughs> right. And so him ending the fight with Incredulous Zed, you know, mm-hmm. with a Three Stooges move is, you know, I mean, a great. It felt very fitting. And, you know. Like, I readily accept Oh, you're all-powerful? I'm outside of reality. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brian, you haven't spoken up yet. Did you yeah. like this, Brian? I think I did. Like I, you did I, very quiet, dude. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I was thinking as Kyle was reading it back, you know, and uh, so I read this on the airplane when I was flying to Europe. So I had like six hours, and I read all fifteen or whatever twelve epi- or ish so issues mm-hmm. that uh, currently exist on Marvel Unlimited. So I kept reading them all, and uh, as it went on, it, maybe I didn't like it as much, but uh, you know, reread going over these like first five issues i think i it recaptured some of the charm that i initially was attracted to hmm. uh so yeah i mean i i mean i i think i mentioned this like on our previous podcast like some of the silly moments take really take me out of it sometimes especially <laughs> since i know silver surfer a little bit you know and i don't think there was any hint of that before yeah i think uh, i think and, this is definitely a different take on the character and him falling in love is also, I mean, falling in love it feels very movie forced in a way. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like it's it's a very common trope to you know just make a movie or adapt a movie and then like throw in a love story like sure The Hobbit or something because that's what the audience expects, right? Yeah. Right. And so there's a little bit of that. I mean, and you know, I I mean, they could have just been companions as opposed to like companions and and like uh, love interest as well. So I mean. I don't know. But Doctor Who, has there ever been a like love relationship with the... Yeah. Okay. Not with all of them, but... Um, Frequently? No. I mean, th- there's been, like, what, 13 Doctors now? And probably... Oh. I think 13. And um, so the one that is the most obvious is uh, David Tennant's character. Uh, so the uh, 10th Doctor mm-hmm. uh, had a companion named Rose who definitely fell in love with him. And there's been other companions that fall in love with the Doctor and all that. But uh, in this one, it's kind of shown that the feeling is mutual by the end of it. And uh, she basically gets banished to, like, an alternate reality. But in that alternate reality, there's a duplicate of him that is human, like, not a Time Lord. And they do, like, kind of go off to live together uh, because it's a way for her to be happy and have her, like, you know, sort of, like, end to that whole thing. Uh, and it's what he probably wanted on the inside too, but knows he couldn't have, you know? Right. Um, so it's, it's been shown before for that to be, uh, a part of that particular dynamic, that particular relationship, but it's not something that is usually explicit and it's not every time that they do it that way. Hmm. It's only been explicit. I think that one time that I know of. Okay. At least it being mutual. Like, it's been explicit that, like, you know, a couple of the other ones have, like, you know, been all either in love with him or infatuated with him romantically or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, that's the yeah. that's the one time. And there's been a couple of times where it's, like, more of, like, a plutonic sort of love, you know? Um, but, yeah. Yeah. So if I uh, had to overall rate the first five issues, I would say it's pretty good. But I think <laughs> the whole overall arc is I, wow. really good. I, I can't believe you're that lukewarm on this. I think this is, like, one of the best comics we've read. I think it's one of the most fun comics we've read, for wow. sure. Wow. Huh. I really like the Silver Surfer stuff going on right now. But, you know, we've also <laughs> talked we've talked off mic about how I... And maybe I've talked on mic about how I feel like right now Marvel has this sort of, like, trinity of, like, sort of, like, off-brand comics that are taking, like, uh, known characters and doing crazy things with them. And, yeah. and that's Howard the Duck. Squirrel Girl and Silver Surfer right now. I feel like there's this trinity that exists with those characters especially where they're they're choosing to go off the ranch and do something really creative and interesting with all three of them. And even though that like Brian was saying like doesn't necessarily uh, keep them 100% in line with like the way the characters have been portrayed in the past, I still think it's interesting and well worth exploring despite that. Yeah, I f- I felt more on your side Kyle too. I'm 
kind of desperate to see something new, you yeah. know, done. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I haven't read a lot of Silver Surfer in the past, but I'm sure Brian's right. It seems like a lot of the prior stuff was sort of dealing with, uh, you know, this extreme power and the yeah, responsibility well, and guilt and things like that. that come some, along with it. I think that stuff shows up in other people's comics more, more though. Brian, because you've read – your exposure to Silver Surfer is probably through, like, Annihilation, right? Or Con- Annihilation Conquest, like, whatever he showed up in there. Yeah. Well, yeah. and before that, I mean, I read a lot of Fantastic Four, like right. Uh, so like Galactus shows up, and yeah. yeah, I mean, like it's it's a serious thing there. But I've got a couple of old Silver Surfer issues uh, that I've had since I was a kid, and like in one of them, he's uh, like you know going up against the Impossible Man, you know, which is basically like a comedic character. He's like the Mister Mixelpicklick of the Marvel Universe, right? Right. So I mean, like he has been used, I think, in the past in like more comedic ways. Yeah. So it's not completely unprecedented. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm enjoying his adventures. And it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's too tropey, you know? Like, hmm. like this, like Squirrel Girl I like because it just, it was completely out, you know, out there. And even, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of issues of Howard the Duck is just completely crazy. And this one just seems like not far enough left. Or right. Sure, it's it's too yeah. So it hasn't gone out in the left field as far as those other two, uh, but it's still too far out to be considered part of that mainstream Marvel universe you're used to. Yeah, yeah. Does I it matter that. that he betrayed like his old character to you? Like that he's way out there now and much. No, different? I mean, like if this were someone else completely, would you like the story more? I, uh, no, I mean, I, I I like the characters evolving. I think it's just uh... got it. It's just a little out of character at times, it feels like. I mean, his character wouldn't exist if he hadn't betrayed Galactus at some point. Like, it wouldn't be an interesting right. character otherwise. We wouldn't have a comic about him. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't I haven't read Howard the Duck, although I mean to. And this probably breaks down what I'm about to say, because I think that that's a little bit more loosely tied to reality. But when you look at um, Squirrel Girl, I mean, she's still on an Earth, and so she's grounded in a way that Silver Surfer's not. I wonder if they felt that the trade-off... To having these sort of crazy, you know, out there adventures in unknown places uh, was to have sort of more common storytelling tropes and things like that that would ground it uh, in story structure in a way, since the location isn't grounding at all. I don't know if they're really thinking about that. I think that my impression is that they're just having fun with tropes they like, you know, like probably Dan Slott is a huge Doctor Who fan, right? And maybe the All Reds are too. And like, you know, the... There's there's definitely some like pop culture sort of like touchstones in there that are probably things that they enjoy and just want to have some fun with. This this strikes me as a comic that creators do as like a way to decompress after doing like really intense work on other <laughs> comics. Sure. I mean, Dan Slott's been writing Spider-Man forever, right? And like the Spider-Man line is kind of it's 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 in some ways like, you know, one of the more mainstream comics that marvel does and so like he has to take that pretty seriously with what he does i I could totally see this being like a project that he wanted in order to just like unwind and have some fun with and not worry about like editorial mandate or anything like that you know yeah definitely it definitely has that feel you know that since it's so far out there in space its connection to continuity doesn't really right well i mean that that's what i mean that's how we got annihilation and annihilation conquest which were amazing so that's how we got the 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 second version of Guardians of the Galaxy, which became the version everybody knows from the movie. 
Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning basically did all those comics and they did it in the middle of the 2000s when everybody was concerned about the Avengers and Civil War and everything right. and so while Civil War was going on they, they brought out all this cosmic stuff and it's amazing it's this amazing like cosmic soap opera they've got going on out there and like they got to do whatever they wanted because it just wasn't part of the main continuity that you know like the editorial staff cared about so we got this amazing original story this amazing original like Star Wars or Star Trek like story out of them uh, that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of years before people started to notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's we get some creative stuff and under those sorts of circumstances. Okay, uh, we've mentioned some favorite lines already. Did anybody want to highlight anything we didn't talk about already? Uh, there is a bonus comic at the end of mine in which Silver <laughs> Surfer do. punches a shark. But the 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 uh, Wait, what? Was, I don't have that. It in was kind of fun. It was. It was kind of. I, I would look for it. Yeah, it was good. You guys were actually reading the collections then. It's called a girl. It's called Girl on Board. You know, because everything's a pun in this. Y- yep. Uh, and so, anyway, the th- the one takeaway from that that I thought was really interesting was that. There's a point at which um, they're talking about whether or not he could use the power cosmic to truly do anything, including grow hair. And <laughs> it's implied that he's trying at some point and can't grow hair. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I, yeah, I, I missed out on that because I, I read uh, the Marvel Unlimited versions. And I was just reading them single issue by single issue. Yeah. yeah, he looks really sad, too, when Don says, you're trying it now, aren't you? Oh, oh. <laughs> and then he changes the subject. That's pretty good. <laughs> This is a good comic. Yeah. I, I like this comic a lot. It is. <laughs> Recommended. Yeah. Goes on the, the thumbs up, two thumbs up list for me. Anyway, definitely above Iron Man, Demon in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely above Spawn. <laughs> All right. Any other comments you guys want to make about the uh, the Silver Surfer? Okay. The silence it's great. says it's everything. It's amazing. Yep. All right. Way to go, okay. everybody. Other things. Other things we want to talk about. Other uh, media, other fun things to get into that you can recommend or steer people away from if it's terrible. Brian, what do you got? Uh, what did I recommend to you today? One Punch Man. Yeah, that's true. The anime. And uh, since you were done with Polar Bear Cafe or whatever, mm-hmm. there's that cartoon uh, network, uh, We Bear Bears. All right, yes. so tell us a little bit more about these. Why, why should our listeners uh, go out and find these things? Well, I recommended One Punch Man to Kyle because it's uh, it flips a lot of uh, tropes, which I guess is kind of what I'm into now. <laughs> uh, it also has ridiculous villains and heroes, which uh, is uh, was common in uh, Venture Brothers, which Kyle and I both love. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and my wife is super into anime. Well, she likes anime, I guess, super into anime implies that she's like, you know, yeah, she's not. But she yeah. likes it casually, and yeah. I have enjoyed some animes in the past as well. So Yeah, and I mean, the, the whole series is like a joke initially, and then uh, you're like, holy crap, this is like a really cool like heart in this, in this uh, One Punch Man. Yeah, so... Any, so is, uh, this, is this streaming anywhere? Where are you getting this from? Yeah, it's on Hulu, I believe. Okay. And uh, I think it's also on Crunchyroll. It's got to be on Crunchyroll if it's on Hulu, right? Yeah, it's, pro- yeah, it's probably widely available. Uh, I think it's also on DVD or Blu-ray as well. Yeah, they're willing to take your money. Yeah. Right. Um, have you read any comics that you want to talk about on Unlimited uh, or otherwise? Uh, I did, but we were going to save that for another podcast because I also oh, uh, right. read yep. uh, That's right. 
the whole entirety of Civil War. Yes. Wait, how many podcasts are you guys doing? You're not on the other three? <laughs> Have you not been getting our... Did you not sign up for the... Uh... Podcast newsletter? No, no, no. What's that thing I started? <laughs> so we're all cool now? No. Oh, a Slack channel? Oh, <laughs> Slack. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll try to keep up. Okay. I guess I'm a slacker. It, it, indeed. Uh, Scott, you got any recommendations? Um, I actually do this time. Usually I'm pretty lame and don't have much. But Agreed. And this was actually inspired by Kyle because he came to visit. And we saw, I think, my favorite movie so far that I've watched this year. Yeah. Surprisingly. And it's not that new. Most, A lot of people have probably seen it. but uh, um, I bet it flew got, under a lot of people's radar. You think yeah. so? Well, anyway, I'll, I'll put it out there. It's 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm. which looks like uh, just a standard, I don't know, maybe you look at the cover and you think it's a horror movie or some kind of thriller. And I would say, it, yes, it kind of is, but it's also many other things, too. It was... Really surprisingly entertaining. I don't even. I don't even want to say like what it made me think no, of no, because no. I don't want to give anything. Yeah. More oh, you away, just need to go into that completely blind, and you will have. It a, was a thriller. Yeah. It, well, I guarantee it's a thriller. There is a, definitely a component. It's got great yeah. acting. Yeah. Yes. Great acting. Yes. John Goodman is amazing. John Goodman is a, a really amazing, and um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead also real strong female lead there. Real good. Um, I had a problem with her, but well. You are the dream shitter. <laughs> yeah, few can what? meet your so true. You can meet Brian's uh, standards. I thought, but it was it was. Good. I thought she was great. I might be a little biased. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian, you're immune to her charm, pretty much. Her, I could see why you guys. Are, yes, I, I can, I can imagine why you guys are going above what her performance was. Actually, talent. Yeah, I think she's pretty talented too. Yes, that is a good. Record. I thought she was good in the movie, and uh, it was fun. That's what I recommend. Go it's watch a really that. Really good movie. Uh, it's out in DVD. Good recommendation. I agree with that. Red box, baby. Todd. All right, I've got a podcast to recommend, uh, which is a little Ooh. bit, a little bit out of left field, um, in that it's very traditional. Uh, so it's it's kind of <laughs> the other side of maybe <laughs> the worst idea of all time, which is like <laughs> just minor production values and uh you know really flying under the radar and everything um i i don't know if any of you have heard of a podcast in our time <laughs> which sounds like it's for i have heard okay of that. yeah it sounds like yeah. it's for very old people because it is no. for very old people but um no. it's <laughs> it's done by bbc uh uh-huh. and it's actually a radio four program but you can get it in podcast format which is how i have it and it's run by melvin bragg who you probably don't know, but he's the chancellor of the University of Leeds. But I ran into him uh, via a BBC TV show called Adventure of English, which just basically has this guy who is somewhat of a unique voice saying, like, English words and really just enjoying the hell out of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always kind of liked him for that. And the whole gist of this is they choose a topic each week. And, I mean, they cover the gamut. And they have basically 44 minutes to talk about this thing and it's all academics who of course always talk like they're paid by the word and he's like (laughs) basically pummeling these people to like try to get to the point as quickly as possible so that they can get some comprehensive you know coverage of some topic that's way too long for them to cover than 44 minutes and so he's like constantly pushing at them and he's had their notes in advance and it's this really 
kind of hilarious it's at the end so there's this extra part in the podcast where they're like afterwards having tea talking about what they should have covered or whatever what else they (laughs) fit in and it really feels like these people have like run a team marathon together or something like they've they've, (laughs) they've accomplished this great thing to cover some huge topic and put it into 44 minutes and Uh that's cool so the other thing is just the real variety like here are just four these are four in a row that were recent Bronze Age Collapse, Penicillin, English Mysticism, and the Gettysburg Address. I mean, it's like, just like everything. I would love this, the banter right. in, in the actual history that you learn about. Right, yeah, exactly. And it's only 44 minutes, and there are like four years of these things. So, it, I mean, it really covers everything. Are you, so. uh, are you guys fans of that Drunk History show? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty good, too. There's some really, really good ones on that. So, anyway, I highly recommend In Our Time. Find it on your favorite In podcast our time. provider. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool. Um, all right. Well, I uh, have read several comics in the last few weeks, although not nearly as many as I used to. Uh, but, I, guys, I've been kind of switching sides. To what? To, to DC. Okay. Some, some stuff is happening over there, and it's got my interest. Uh, they're doing an event called DC Rebirth. I kind of feel like I'm recommending like the most obvious thing right now. But um, <laughs> like, if you're into comics, you probably already know about this, and you're probably already checking it out if you have any interest at all. But they're basically... So the New 52 wasn't great you know like they they tried to relaunch you know their whole line back in 2011 and we talked about all that and uh it hasn't been as well received as they'd hoped uh so they're trying to kind of do a soft reboot again wasn't it it successful initially is it just that they haven't had enough people hang on yeah i think that i think that it wasn't as successful as they wanted and i don't think yeah they haven't had like the concurrent readership i think that they wanted uh but anyway they're, they're basically like kind of saying hey you know how we changed everything back at flashpoint (laughs) well guess what that was all dr manhattan just screwing with things and running an experiment hmm so like uh watch watchman dr manhattan yes okay yes uh who left who finished watchman by basically deciding i'm no longer interested in earth i'm just gonna go out you know, into space yes so okay. he, i don't think they've explicitly shown him yet but um i, I think it's implied that that's who it is so there's an actual issue called like a uh, dc rebirth and it's sort of like the launch point for this massive like company-wide uh you know initiative or whatever and uh it's pretty long i think it's like a 60 issue 60 page issue or something like that but it, it revolves around wally west from the past universe uh so you know he was the flash for a long time there uh and he's basically stuck in the speed force and trying to break out by basically like finding a touchstone uh through all the characters that he was very very close to in the previous universe and he fails like every single one of them he fails until he finally reaches barry which is like his last ditch effort uh to go and and, you know um, try to communicate with barry allen who nobody remembers him you know because they all their memories have basically been rewritten as the universe was like sort of rewritten uh but in like sort of like the very last moment as he's about to fade away into nothing barry remembers him and grabs him and yanks him out of the speed force uh and they kind of have this discussion about how hey i know all these things that basically undermine everything you know about reality and uh it's they show like basically like somebody on mars uh like talking about how you know like this whole thing is like an experiment or whatever and uh uh i think the only person that wally talks to about it after that is batman so batman and wally i think are sort of like supposed to be investigating this thing in in an ongoing way but uh it starts to like 
a lot of other things have unfolded to kind of change things around, like like the nature of Wonder Woman's existence and where she comes from and all this stuff. And Superman from the New 52 is now dead, and the Superman from the previous universe has actually been in that universe for a good year or so now after that DC Convergence event they did like a year ago. So he and the Lois that we read about and their son, Jonathan, exist in this universe. And now that Superman has taken the place of the Superman from the New 52. Weird. Okay, yeah. so this is kind of like... Well, I mean, to compare it to Marvel, obviously they're they're doing the same thing with continuities, kind of mixing and matching them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like how they're mixing and matching, like the six one six with like the uh, the Ultimate Universe and yeah, all that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's really interesting, though, the way they're doing it. Like it's it's been pretty well written. They had a uh, Jeff Johns, I think, kind of take over. Uh, I he at least wrote the the actual like rebirth issue. Uh, the only complaint I have about it is it's super confusing, like following what issues are what, because it's like, hey, go read Batman colon rebirth number one, and then read Batman number one, which is also rebirth, but isn't Batman colon rebirth? It's Batman. Like the way that they're titling the issues in the different series is really confusing. But I've read the first few issues of a bunch of the series. Like I've read the first Flash or the first Flash Rebirth, not the first Flash. Mm-hmm. And like you know, uh, I think I've read a couple of the Superman issues, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. I, you know, if you're at all interested in good DC stuff or interesting, compelling DC stuff with their characters, this seems to me like a good place to kind of jump on and. Uh, enjoy a good crazy ride uh so yeah that's that is my recommendation is you check out rebirth at least and then if that seems interesting to you from that point on uh maybe go grab the recent flash issues and maybe like even if you're a superman fan maybe the recent um superman and action comic stuff um and wonder woman looks like it's going to be pretty cool too so there you go yeah. Well, there's no, as far as I know, there's no DC Unlimited service, like Marvel Unlimited. Right? I really wish there was. I think about that every night I sit down with my uh, <laughs> iPad and want to, like, read some DC. Because i got to go to Comixology, and I've got to actually, like, pay money. And I don't like buying digital comics. Um, I don't mind reading them when it's part of a service, but I don't like paying for them because I'm paying basically the same price as I would in the store, only I don't have a physical copy that might be a collector's issue someday, you know? Hmm. That kind of bugs me. Because the per the per issue price is the same on comics. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're buying like a a digital collection, who cares, right? I mean, like that paperback collection is not going to be worth any more than the the cover price ever, right? True. Uh, But there's all like you know I've got Batman number one from the the Snyder Capullo run, and it's like I think it's like worth a hundred bucks or something like that. You know, Hmm. something like there's definitely value to these comics. Uh, Not every single one of them, obviously, but to a lot of them. And also, I just like having them. I like the idea that I can hand this you know, all these long boxes down to my son, like, you know, when he gets old enough to sit down and read them. Cause can you imagine Todd, like when we were 12 or 13, like how exciting it would have been if our dads had like dug a whole long box out of the attic for us at the time. I don't know. It wouldn't have had enough foil on the cover for me. Probably. <laughs> Whatever, man, you were reading those old no, Batman stories and stuff. Yeah, No, I'm joking. Yeah. It would have been great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. All right. Well, very cool. Okay, everybody. Well, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. 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 Now, you can, Bye. Now, you can, now we can stop. Stop recording.